Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review and better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. You can also take the HR Like a Boss survey at willary.com forward slash HRLAB. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals. These conversations create the foundation for my book on what it takes to do HR Like a Boss. On today's episode, I'm so excited to be joined by Brian Rolnick Fox. Brian is the founder of Nimble Learning Strategies and the best improv coach that I know. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Great to see you. Great to connect with you. Always a pleasure. My pleasure as well. I feel like we should do like a yes and, right? Yes and. Yes and. Let's just yes and. I'm, I'm glad to be part of a, a group of people called Amazingly Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm glad just to be nominated. So thank you. Well, that is that is the definition. If you look in Urban Dictionary, which I know, wow, that's a controversial topic to start off with Urban Dictionary, but like a boss has the term amazingly awesome in it. So that's how that's how we that's our spin on it. Cool, cool. I didn't know that. So for those that haven't had a pleasure, haven't had the pleasure of spending time with Brian, uh, why don't you tell the, the audience a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days? Wonderful. Thank you, John. Um, so let me start with the present and I'll work backwards. I, um, I'm the CEO and chief learning evangelist for Nimble Learning Strategies, and we help HR leaders and other executives close the skills gap around communication, collaboration, and leadership, which are obviously vital for any company's growth. And we offer an approach that to professional development is really, it's practical, it's easy to apply, and it's a lot of fun along the way. And as John knows, the, the twist of that, why it makes it so fun and practical and easy, is that we use the principles of improvisational theater as a tool to help people build powerful relationships instead of transactional relationships so they can get more done. Um, so that's uh, what I, who I am, where I'm at now. And I've had a zigzag career. I've, I was an actor and writer for 10 years professionally. I worked in the nonprofit space. I worked in public relations and then eventually ended in learning and development and now opened my, opened my own shop um, uh, over the last little bit of time. So that's the, that's the gist of me. Uh, I'm a father and husband and um, I'm proud of that, my first and most important job. And, uh, and then what I'm working on now is really just trying to sp spread the gospel of the power of improvisational theater, uh, podcasts, speaking engagements, um, uh, a new guest lecturer at the University of Vermont, um, teaching how to improve teamwork uh, in an entrepreneur class. So young entrepreneurs, how do they build that team? How do they make it effective? And it's been a blast to do that, a lot of fun doing that. So that's, that's a little bit, that's a little spiel. And how we got to know Brian is through him doing some of that improv training to our team, taking some of the crucial conversation and emotional intelligence exercises that we had learned as a group and putting them into real practical sense. I remember the, the meeting we were at in this kind of quiet back corner room of uh, a local country club. And here we are screaming and yelling and running around acting like, I think you wanted us to be some crazy animal, if I remember correctly, uh, that was part of your, part of your shtick. And it was, Man, did we have fun and we learned at the same time. So uh, hire Brian and his his company. They do an awesome job. Thank you for that vote of confidence, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, we definitely have fun laughing and learning. Love it. Definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's get to the podcast questions, Brian, because I know people are probably super curious to get your perspective on a few, few of these concepts that we try to cover. And I always like to start off the initial question at a very high level of how you would describe the purpose of human resources. Uh Thank you for that question. 
you know, first of all, just let me give perspective. I'm, I'm not an HR professional. I'm seeing it from the outside, right? I'm typically a vendor coming in and working with HR, but working closely with my HR clients and colleagues and friends, um, you know, I've learned from them. You just keep it simple, right? Treat people like humans that they are and give them the resources to thrive and succeed. Um, that, that's it. And, and um, that's what I would say in a short shot. The, the follow-up to that would be, um, I was actually listening to your podcast and I was then picking up my kids from school and I paused it. So, you know, just so I could be present with them, but the, on the screen of my, my radio, it said HR like a boss. So my oldest who's in third grade, Jonah is like, what, what's HR like a boss? And it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's about human resources. He's like, well, what's human resources, you know? And it just, you know, it was awesome. So anyway, so I, of course I was starting to overthink things as I sometimes do way over explaining it. And then I was like, okay, wait, 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 stop. And I was like, What's, a, what's something he might get? So I said, you know, those, when you were younger, Jonah, those like little connect the dots and then you colored in, he's like, yeah. I said, well, an HR leader connects the dots and then the executives and the employees, they color it in. And he was like, oh, and he got it. And I was like, wow, that was pretty good. I'm gonna tell John about that. So that's how I sort of see what my colleagues do who are HR professionals. Hopefully I'm getting that right. Hopefully they, they would agree with that too. Yeah, there's no actually right answer for that technically. So, so because it's a purpose and everyone can have a different variation. I've never heard it explained that way. And that is a pure genius, especially if Jonah got it right. So all yeah, of a sudden yeah. he, he got it. And sometimes we have to, we, we overcomplicate as us as adults, way too many things. Totally. Totally. So I agree with you. There's an interact. One of the main points in the book is this ability for HR who sits in the middle of an employer and an employee and they have to create that connection. And when they do it the right way, it's, a, it's fascinating the, the positive impact they can have on the employees, on the employer, and then ultimately on the community. And that's really what we're trying to get at to help uh, the HR profession uh, do the best they can that they possibly can in their role and the opportunity they have. So great answer and tell Jonah he was spot on. He, he, he can be an HR executive. You watch in, in 10, 12 years, he's gonna wanna Indeed. get into HR. Indeed. So tell, tell me, what, what do you think the challenges HR have about connecting those dots? What do, what do you think causes them to have some struggles in that respect, Brian? John, I think that the main challenge for HR leaders uh, is really complicated. Humans. Humans, that's the challenge. Um, I think that, you know, it's really the, like the old adage, right? That any organization's greatest assets and liabilities are its people, and um, and that's and that's what, what HR people love to do, and that's what they thrive at, and and in a variety of different ways, right? Um, I think inside of that, there's the reason why that can be challenging is that we as humans tend to see things from our own perspective. Um, so that that's the that's the challenge because you have a let's say an SVP with 20 years experience, they're forgetting what it's like to be that person in you know, at their first job and vice versa, the person in the first job probably is not getting what it's like to be an SVP who has dozens of people under him or her carrying that weight for those folks, right? So it's those, those kinds of things that I think can be complicated for, 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 for us as humans. And then the HR people have to kind of navigate that and help, help mitigate that. Yeah, certainly it's interesting how business is such a microcosm of life, right? That's that's what we're facing right now as a community and, and a country and the world, just a variety of different perspectives. And and how, how do you navigate through that in a way that's civil and 
cordial and moving us forward. And I think we're sometimes feeling that, at least I know I'm observing that, that when you don't, it, it, you take some major steps back and that doesn't feel good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It just, you know, you're, we're going through a, a, a shift, I think, as, as the human race, I think we're going through a shift. My mom was a big believer in looking at sort of human evolution. And, um, and I think that, I think we were already going through it anyway. I think the pandemic forced to look at ourselves even more. And I think that there's going to be a lot of different outcomes, hopefully mostly positive, but just, you know, talking about kids, like, um, my kids are mostly, mostly virtual. Sometimes they're hybrid, depending on what's happening. Um, but you know, they, they know Microsoft teams better than I do, right? Like I, I use zoom primarily with most of my clients. Just that just happens to be what it is. Occasionally use teams or, or other platforms, but, um, you know, they use teams, so they know it, they're figuring it out. They're, they're being creative with it. Um, and they're going to, they're coming, they're going to come up with skills before they even get out of grade school that I didn't learn until well and in, well into my career. Right. So they're learning all that stuff, all that stuff. Anyway, that could be a whole nother podcast. Things are, yeah, I agree. Things are happening so much faster and children yeah. and adults are consuming so much more information at such a higher clip. And at some point it's all, it's too much, right. It's overwhelming. And, uh, and, and it's like anything, sorry to interrupt. It's like anything else. You have to figure out what, what's the moderation point for a community an organization, an individual, what's too much, what's, what's the balance there. Um, and we're all trying to figure that out as we go. Cause we've never been in this situation before. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So back to your point around perspective and people seeing that, how, how do you suggest HR supports the, the employees that maybe are coming at those different, everything from a different perspective to ultimately achieve that purpose, which is connecting, right? Connect, making a connection and moving the organization forward. How do you suggest they do that? I think about it sort of in, from two different perspectives. One, um, obviously I come from an improv perspective. So I, I tend to sort of like look for what are people saying in the improv world that might make sense in the business world? And so um, I'm a huge fan of Tina Fey. I'm, many people know her. She was started at Second City in Chicago. She was the first female head writer at Saturday Night Live. She then went on to build a production company that has these amazingly successful TV shows, films, even a, a Broadway musical. So she's got people under her, right? All these different shows and things of that nature. And one of the things that she's been quoted saying, which I love is, whatever the problem, be part of the solution. Don't just sit around pointing out the obstacles. You know, we've all worked with that person and that person is a drag, right? So that's, I'm paraphrasing, but that in essence is her quote. And, and listen, I, 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 when I strive for success or to achieve, achieve something, I can get in that mode of like, what's not working so that I can fix it. And that's not wrong, but if I'm not coming to the table with like, what, what are the solutions, then I become a drag to people, right? And I think that we all have to be careful of how slipping into that, that, into that pitfall, if you will. So that's one thing is sort of how can you as an HR leader come to a situation with what are the possible solutions and have a solution mindset around that. And the other piece is, I'm sure it's been quoted a lot, uh, just one of my favorites um, for Sir Richard Branson, uh, owner of many, many companies, train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so they won't, right? And I think around that, you know, going a little bit deeper is around how do we educate managers on how they connect how they engage and how they build relationships um, so that they are coaching their people and they're treating their people well. And, you know, 
many organizations do have full programs on how to become a manager or coach like that, but some don't, or there may be gaps in how they're doing that. And even today, I still feel like sometimes there's an assumption that just because somebody moves up to manager or SVP or whatever it may be, that they suddenly know how to manage people or connect with people. And um, I think there's too much assumptions in that. Even when we're trying to train them or educate them on how to be a, a better manager, I think there's still too many assumptions around that. And so I think that that, that idea around um, continually educating people of how to, how to deal with human relationships is really key. And I think on the flip side, we need to think about not just the managers, the directors, the SVPs, but the, but the, the direct reports of those people. How are we educating those direct reports to be a good team player on how to be coachable? I think there's a lot of focus on managers and emerging leaders, and that's all great. But how are we finding ways to educate people to be coachable and be part of a team? I think that sometimes is a missing missing part of the puzzle. Yeah, Brian, I love that. That's that's hits right at home with me because I was just recently went through with my, I got two kids. Uh, they're 13 and 11 at the time of this podcast, a beautiful wife. And we have, we have, we have, we have core values in my house. Oh, brother, mm. I'm an HR, HR guy, I have a company. Um, and the, those core values in our, in our house, are you, you, you have to try your best, right? Mm -hmm. When you're going to do something, you, you got to put in the work to try your best. Mm. And then secondarily, you, ha you have to pitch in. So we were teaching our kids life skills, like cooking, cleaning, you know, picking up the dog, you know what, right? Things like that, <laughs> life skills that you have to do in life. Right. And then the last one is developing relationships, mm. right? And when, I, when, when, when you said that, like a light bulb went off in my head, were you ever taught how to develop a relationship, Brian? Like you taught, you were taught all this stuff in college and in high school. Totally. Was there ever a re relationship developing class? Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to come up with an improv class that's around relationship development. Well, so it's so funny thing is many years ago, I did a, not for the business world, but I did a relationship on improving how you're, how you're dating, how you're building relationships with someone in pursuit of marriage. Uh, this was before I was married. Um, but I wasn't saying that I was an expert on relationships necessarily, but I was an expert on improv and how does that apply to when you're on a date or trying to build a relationship with somebody, things like that. So we could then shift that into the workforce and, and that's part of what we do at Nimble Learning Strategies. But I think there's something else you said in that, like, most people don't take a class on that. But if they're lucky enough, they have parents like you and I and our spouses who are modeling that for them. And so I have a friend of mine, Sean Cavanaugh, and Sean um, tells this great story about how he would force his kids to have conversation around the dinner table. Um, he just... That was just how he how he operated. Fast forward many, many years later, his daughter gets her first job and she's low on the totem pole at this company. And, um, you know, the boss asked for some ideas and she raised her hand and she spoke up and shared her ideas. And she walks out and she's like a millennial, not to, not to castigate millennials, but, um, and she walks out of this meeting and all of her colleagues that are first years like her say, how did you do that? What happened? What, how, how did that work? What, 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 what happened? They were also scared to speak up. They didn't know how to do that because they weren't taught how to do that necessarily. And she was like, well, I don't, she didn't know what, she didn't, she was confused by their, their confusion, right? And then she realized, oh, all those conversation dinners that I had with my dad many over the many years that he forced me to do that I hated at the time, 
fed into how I can show up with confidence, show up with an idea. It may work and may not, but I can, I can have a conversation with people and treat people like human beings. And my dad showed me how to do that. And I didn't even know it at the time. Right. So, so that, I think, I think if you're, if you're lucky enough to, to do that at home, I think that that's the course, right. Obviously we need more than just that um, because it's a little bit more complicated than that. But I think that that's, that that's a good foundation that you're teaching your kids. For sure. Yeah, no, I feel very blessed. And I know both of my parents were awesome at developing relationships. But again, I think uh, maybe not everyone's as blessed and fortunate as, as we, we were and are. And at the same time, may, maybe those the parents you have aren't good at that either. So sure, I think that's true too. certainly something there for us to, to dive into. But I, I appreciate that education on relationships for both the manager uh, and, and the direct report, I think that's paramount. So as we dig into that a little bit further, kind of HR's ability to focus in on the, the places where they can have the, the greatest impact on an employee and organization, how, how would you characterize that? Right. Um, so I think, I think there's three things. Um, the first one and probably the biggest one I would say is how do we cultivate a yes and mindset? So an improvisational theater, you in, in, become a term in the, in the business community of yes and, right? Um, and just to drill down about what that means before I go further, there's sometimes a, a misunderstanding that you have to say yes to everything. And in improv, as well as in the real world, you don't necessarily have to say yes to everything, but you have to accept what's happening in the moment. You have to accept the other person's reality, to accept their feelings. You have to accept the facts on the ground that you have. And then the and part is the contribution. How are you contributing to that? Um, so for HR leaders, I think that they can have an impact by how do they coach their managers to have that yes and mindset? Um, because I think as humans, we, in our DNA, we want safety. And the easiest way to stay safe is to say no. Like that's our makeup. And we have to kind of fight against that. Um, and so what I, what I coach my uh, HR colleagues on, my clients on, is it's for them to coach further on to their, their team or their business partners that they're working with is to say three things when someone comes to you with an idea. So the direct report comes with you an idea, you should say the following three things. So what you're saying is, and then reflect back what that person said to make sure you heard it correctly. And then after you feel like you've got an understanding of that much, you say, so here's what I like about that idea. And ideally you find at least, hopefully the whole idea is great, but if not, find one, at least one little nugget, one little nugget that's good and appreciate that or appreciate the passion that they have or the, the, that the research they did to get into it, even if the idea is horrible, right? But appreciate something. And then the last, the third piece is to tell me more about what it would take to achieve that and how might I support you in it, right? Um, again, that's more about gathering information so you understand the whole piece. Because I think another thing that humans do is we kind of jump to conclusions we've already tried that, or we won't have the budget for it. You know, that's what's going in our head as soon as someone's trying to solve a problem for us. We're trying to unsolve it in a way. So I think that you, you're you allowing yourself to pause and just be in the moment of embracing that yes part of it, right? Before you can get to the end. And the other piece that you're doing simultaneously is you're responding in a way that's offering trust and confidence in that person, which is naturally going to nurture your relationship with that person, which is really important. So then after you have that information, then you can make a choice. Does this idea fit in with the question I asked, you know, or the problem that we have or the strategy for this quarter or this year or whatever? If it does, great. If it doesn't and you have to say no, 
I would be very thoughtful about how you say no to that person. And excuse me, how you say no to the idea, not the person. Let's be clear about that. So your tone, the words you use, you know, you don't have to overthink it and script it out, but just take a moment before you open your mouth to say, I'm saying no to this idea either now or forever or for time being, but I appreciate that you brought it to me. I appreciate you're thinking about it. I appreciate you, you're owning it like a boss, whatever it may be, you know, that's what you want to do in that, that yes and mindset. So that's what, that's what, well, one big one. I'll pause there, see if you have any thoughts about that. I've got two other, other shorter suggestions as well. No, I, I, I appreciate that. My, my Jonah, my, my second grade, third grade, sorry, I can remember which, I know you have two boys, jo- Jonah. Yeah. yeah. Relating yes and to me in kind of like layman's, you know, sixth grade terms is just simply about keeping the conversation going. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I see people in improv, they feed off of each other. It's, it's a, it's a feed off of you to keep this going. And that's, that's my, that's my simple way of how yes and can have such an impact in a business perspective. And you see it not only just because of the work you're doing, uh, Brian, but it's becoming more of a, a kind of a prominent term within our community. Uh, and, and, and I think we need to practice it. And we need to be diligent about it because I think the natural instinct, you know, is to, is to fight or flight, right? Fight or flight. Totally. It's not, it's not to yes and, and right. It's fight right. or flight. And so um, that, that my, my comment there is, is, is relating to managers being able to do that effectively. And to your point, teaching HR, being able to teach those managers, not only through their education, but through their actions uh, so I think that's that's really cool. So I'm curious to your other two. You got me. Yeah. So the other one is uh, to seek feedback, and, and and this can be formal feedback. You know, getting your trusted advisors before you launch that strategy, or whatever. That's great. But I I want to focus more on the, and I think in some ways could be equally important or more important is the small nuanced ways that we can see seek f- feedback in the moment. So how can you, if you're already good at Emotional intelligence, great. If not, then you should try to sharpen your skills around the area. How are you reading the room? Whether it's one-on-one or with a, a team of people, how are you reading the room and how are you using your emotional intelligence? What's my emotional state? What's that other person's emotional state? What's the bridge between us relative to the ideas we're discussing? And so that might mean that even on Zoom, right? Or whatever virtual platform you have, you know, if you have the comfort and camaraderie of a team where you feel comfortable doing this, you can say, gosh, John, I noticed you kind of winced a little bit when we brought up that idea. Can you, can you, maybe, maybe your cat ran by, I don't know. Or maybe you have some thoughts and feelings about that. If you don't mind, would you mind sharing them? Right. If you feel like that's not the moment to do that for whatever reason, if you don't have the trust there, maybe that's a new person, whatever the situation is, can you get that person offline and have a conversation with that person, uh, privately to say, hey, I noticed that you might not be totally in sync with this situation, this idea, the strategy, whatever it is. Tell me what your thoughts and feelings are. And I, I like to use the thoughts and feelings phrase because it's not just about what they're thinking about it, it's how they're feeling about it. And all the neuroscience tells us that we make choices and decisions mostly with our emotional part of our brain. And then we, we back them up with the logic, right? So you got to get those two hand in hand. So, and, 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 and listen, again, I don't, I try to practice what I preach, but sometimes I'm off and my younger son, Gideon, uh, you know, second grader, um, you know, the other day he was trying to defend himself about, about something we were trying to plan out about. He's trying to defend himself. He's trying to advocate for himself. 
but I took it as him arguing with me at first, right? That's how I was seeing it. And my wife actually, Becky, saw that she, he was just advocating for himself. And so she kind of, we were all in the kitchen together and she gently kind of eased her way into the conversation and said, you know, what, Brian, I think that Gideon is saying that. And I was like, oh. So then I was let, able to let go of whatever perception I had and drill into him. And then I could, I could see on his face wh where he was. He was curious. He wasn't mean. He wasn't upset. He was curious. So, you know, with your family, with your colleagues, how are you picking up on those cues and encouraging your team to help you out, right? Luckily, Becky and I have a relationship where I didn't feel offended that she was, she was stepping in. I was happy she did it because I was missing something. So anyway, so that's, that's the type of feedback that I, that I think is important uh, that we're doing, we should be doing on a continual basis, not just once a quarter at performance reviews or whatever it is. Anyway, last one is trusting your gut. Um, and I think this is most important for HR leaders because in order for you to help other people, you have to help yourself and trusting your gut is a way to help yourself first. Um, and so, you know, if it's a big situation, I think it's around sitting down, being quiet with yourself, asking yourself, what do my instincts tell me? What am I, what does my experience tell me? And then writing that out and then letting it go from there and just getting, getting quiet with yourself. And if, and I got this advice many years ago. I love this idea that if you feel like you still don't know, you've got two, your gut's telling you two things. Well then, then use your imagination. I'm going to go down uh, the left road and imagine what it would be like to, to, to follow my gut in this direction. And then after doing that for a little bit, I'm going to go down the right road and use my imagination to follow my other choice that my gut's telling me about what it would be like. Then your brain's going to kick in and your brain's going to help your gut going, here's, here's what, here are the pitfalls, here are the possible successes. And that you can get a better sense of like, okay, which part of my gut should I listen to? So, and the last thing I'd say about that is like, don't, you might get it wrong. You might trust your gut and you might get it wrong. It happens. LeBron doesn't win every single championship, right? So we're humans, we get it wrong, but don't let that be evidence that, that your gut was wrong, right? To, 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 to have, to keep the confidence of trusting your gut, even, if, even when you get it wrong. And what can you learn from that for next time? So that those are many things around that, you know, this idea about yes and mindset, seeking feedback on a continual basis and trusting your gut. That's what I would say HR leaders need for them to help themselves and then help others. Yeah, I can really appreciate that. Use your imagination. I think that's kind of fun too, right? It's going back to your childhood again. We're keeping referencing these young, making this as simple as possible. So yeah. use your imagination because you can paint a picture of what one scenario or scenario A or scenario B is going to lead to. And one will become way more clear, especially when you document that. That's the other thing I found. When I think something out and then I type it out in an email, it becomes way more clear when I do those scenarios. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take you up on that imagination thing. That'll be fun to sit here at my desk pondering, well, what should I do, A or B? And hopefully my kids won't walk in, I'll be here half asleep or I'm using my imagination. I promise I'm working. Brian told, Brian told me to do it. Yes, you know, I, I, I was telling you this earlier and I, before we got online, but I just read this book by John Cleese about creativity. And one of the things he says is around allowing yourself time to play, allow time to creativity to sink in. It's not, we think of it as uh, just banging away at stuff, but your brain needs time to kind of walk away from something, digest it, and then give you your unconscious or subconscious or however it works to give you those answers you need back. So yeah, play, imagine, take a break, take a walk, all that good stuff. It's part of the process. Yes. One of the, one of the things he says is really interesting. He says that the moment when you're eating, the moment where there's 
when there's not food on your fork is part of the process, right? We think of interruptions, or we think of blocks as like a problem, but he's saying like all those blocks and interruptions, that's part of the process. I just think that, I think that's great anyway. Yeah, that's cool. Well, reading books, you obviously have a tremendous amount of experience. And again, appreciate you being on today's show. If, if you could take yourself back just a little while to the beginning of your career, Brian, and give yourself some advice, knowing what you know now, what would that be? Um, good question. I would say that, so I, just to give a little bit of context, I, as I sort of referenced earlier, I zigzagged a lot in my career earlier on, which is I was in public relations, then I was a professional actor, then I worked in nonprofit space, and then I, I, I landed in learning and development for many years. And um, so reinventing myself, trying new things came fairly naturally to me in, in bigger ways. But I think one thing that I need to keep reminding myself of is how do I zigzag inside of a particular part of my career? I don't I didn't always do that as maybe as well as I would have liked looking back. And so that's and and even with where we are in the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, I was doing 10% around virtual communication, right? Had, even though we're all even before the pandemic, many more remote teams, you're a full remote office, right? But I wasn't zigging and zagging around that, right? As an example. So I want to be thoughtful about how can I continue to, to say well, like what's next and how can I zig and zag more inside of whatever goals I have in order to foster those goals. Um, so that would give that advice to myself, but also give it to others. So like, how can you reinvent things, zig and zag experiment inside of whatever your current goals are in order to make those goals better? Yeah, appreciate that. That's really cool. Zigging and zagging. Yes. I think that's in the Webster Dictionary, or, or maybe Urban Dictionary, or both. Maybe, maybe both. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, have terribly different meanings for either one. <laughs> right. All right. I'll get you out of here on this. So if you could, I know the book and the podcast is HR Like a Boss. If you had a chance to describe someone that does HR Like a Boss, how would you do that? Um, as I said earlier, I'll start with improv. improv an improv scene, if we're on stage, John, uh, our goal is to make our scene partner look good, right? And if we're doing that in a reciprocal fashion, then the scene moves forward, right? You're taking care of me, I'm taking care of you. The best bosses actually look out for, nurture and lift up their teams. So for me, uh, an HR like a boss is somebody who's gonna look out for other people, nurture other people and lift them up. Um, and the people I've worked, along, worked with along the way in my career, colleagues, bosses, direct reports, if we're all doing that, then we're all gonna win. Um, and, and the last thing I'd say is, I've been thinking about this, this idea about HR like a boss. I love that title. And then in this particular question, I don't have the exact answer, but maybe you could flip it a little bit. No, keep the title as it is. Don't get me wrong. But the answer to this question is the opposite of the title, which is HR like a boss is by being someone who, being a boss who educates others, excuse me, wait. Being someone who does HR like a boss is somebody who educates others to be a boss like a human. I don't know. I haven't fixed it out yet. I think you should play with it, but there's something there about flipping it on its head a little bit that I think you, you could work with it, something. I don't know. Well, you, you haven't been privy to reading some, some of the first few chapters of the book, but technically, like, the, the most unique thing about the title is, and I don't think I'm going to change it, but I, I, think, I think it's a great suggestion, or flipping it around, is a boss 
it's it's like a boss, right? So everybody all of a sudden thinks of boss as being the person in charge, like a, a CEO or the VP of whatever. Yeah. And everyone is a boss, right? Someone yes. that does something like a boss does it in an amazingly awesome way. So everyone in HR, as the spirit of the book is meant to be, has the opportunity to do HR like a boss, just not the CHRO or VP of HR. So it's really meant for everyone. And I, I get where you're going because it's to me, like everyone's a leader. Everyone has a chance to be a leader, everyone, children to grandparents, to those traditionally as leaders. And I think all too often we put too much emphasis on the people that are fortunate enough to be in a leadership role. And maybe some of them uh, maybe not necessarily are qualified to do that. So that you need the groundswell people to kind of continue to move things forward. So big proponent of, of everyone standing up and doing what they do. And I, I really enjoyed having you on the show today, Brian, a lot of thought provoking ideas. A few of them I, I kind of jotted down here for, the, for, for those listening. So give people the resources. We kind of started off with that. I know the definition that you gave to your, your, your younger son was connecting the dots, right? HR does an awesome job of connecting the dots and then the executives and the people and employees color everything in. Uh, the ability to relate to varied perspectives. I think that's paramount, not only within our organization, but within our communities. Uh, come at it, whatever it is, with solutions. So making sure that you're just not a, a, a raising my hand with problems, but you got them both up. I see this challenge problem. Let's go ahead and figure out this solution, A, B, and C, and then use your imagination when you roll through those solutions. I thought that was an awesome point. I know we dug in a lot on education around relationship building. So we'll have to have a side conversation to see how we can bring some content to uh, the community around that and uh, having a yes and mindset to keep the conversation going. So I really appreciate you being on the show, Brian, a dear friend and very thought provoking. My pleasure, my pleasure, glad, glad to be here. Good conversation. You got it. Well, thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating and review. And better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.